listening to the Citizens Church podcast. Citizens Church exists to saturate Bryan College Station, Texas with the good news and love of Jesus. To learn more about Citizens Church, visit us online at citizensbcs.com. Today's message is from Pastor Ben Rush. Matthew 6, 25 says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus starts in verse 25 by saying, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. And then at the end of the passage in verse 34, he says, Therefore, do not worry. And between verse 25 and verse 34, Jesus repeatedly talks about anxiety. And if I had been there among the crowds, the people that maybe came from what they called the 10 cities, the Decapolis or Jerusalem or Judea or Galilee, and I had been there listening to Jesus say these words, do not worry, I think I probably would have raised my hand or yelled out, depending on how far away I was from him and said, hey, Jesus, sounds nice. It's a great platitude. How in the world do I live that out? Anybody with me? And then Jesus, the patient rabbi, would have said, Ben, what do you have to worry about? And I would say, how do you know my name? (laughs) This is weird. And he would say, no, really, he would say, what do you have to worry about? And I would start by just talking about whatever, my family and life and finances and the economy and whatever. And now recently in the last few weeks in the news, you know, the U.S. has this thing that's happening with China now, not just Russia or Iran or North Korea, but it feels like we're on a hair trigger that somebody could just hit a button and this whole thing blows up. Like, I would just tell them about all of that, and I would tell them about things that I'm worried about in the future, things that are outside of my control. Maybe some of them are small things. Maybe some of them are large things. I would just begin to share all of those things with Jesus. I would say, hey, don't worry. Sounds nice. I don't know how to do that. Can you tell us how to do that? What about when there's something serious to worry about? Don't worry makes sense until that time. 
but everything else I'm not really tracking with you. In 2019, uh, antidepressant usage in America was among uh, 18-year-olds and older. American adults was 15%. And just a few years later, 2020, or just a year later, in 2020, it was up to 20%. And then just recently, Medical Journal or CDC, I read this last week, it's up to almost 25%. It's vacillated over the last several months. And it seems like there is an epidemic of mental health issues. The number one, uh, the drug that people are used in the category of drug that people are being prescribed today is for mental health, antidepressants of some sort. What is concerning to me is that there are people that are among us that are not in that percentage of people that don't have a way to talk about life, don't have access to a doctor, they don't have access to a therapist, they don't have a way to communicate or an understanding of how to process the pain and trauma that they feel in their life. People who sometimes feel overwhelmed by day-to-day activities, debilitating this suffering, like suffocating dread of just having to get out of bed in the morning, Uh, people that worry about having conversations one-on-one with somebody, people that have concerns about being in large groups of people. These are the types of things that people are worried about and much larger things, things that I just talked about. Last week, we sent out a question in a survey that said, in a word, what causes you to be anxious or worried? By the way, Before I jump into that, there were a few answers that were hilarious, and I deleted them. One was, they responded by saying, and he's not here, it said Tyler Olsey. So I'm assuming that's a joke. Maybe Tyler does cause someone anxiety. Someone else said tight pants. I thought that was a joke until later on, like just a few uh, hours later, I was trying on some pants, and they didn't fit, and I started to get anxious, and so but I'd already deleted it. And then someone said San Francisco. I have no clue. I just, I'm assuming that's a joke. Sorry if those are real responses. But seriously though, check these out. Uh, This is just uh, some of, these are just some of the responses, but the number one thing that people responded is the future is something that caused people to feel anxious or worried. Uh, They didn't marry these two for whatever. Uncertainty, work, expectations, pressure, money, gas prices, too much coffee, icebreaker games. (laughs) I I can relate to that. Again, Jesus says, do not worry. I love Frederick Del Bruner in his masterpiece commentary on Matthew. I've quoted him several times. I love him to death. This is how he translates it. You can quit worrying about your life. There is a massive difference between don't worry, just like sounds like a command and kind of angry, and you don't have to worry. There are lots of translations that say both. I love this, you can quit worrying. It's this comforting command. It's this combination of both. And I think that that captures the heart of Jesus well. I think that's the heart of God. This concept, though, is It's threatening to me. I don't know about you, but to me, this passage is threatening because what it does is it challenges me and it implies that I have the choice to do something different than comes naturally to me. Just being anxious and worried about stuff, that feels like my right or something that I, you know, just naturally do. 
How exactly can I quit being anxious, Jesus? I don't understand. We can look at the words on these on this page, and we can look at the world around us. We can even look within the church, and it just doesn't add up. For me, I just have more questions. So we come to this text, and I believe that we have two options. We can either be cynical, or we can be curious. We can be cynical, we can be curious. Cynicism is easy. We have health concerns, economic concerns, gas is high, Netflix is going to raise their prices. I just found out. I got an email. And so some of us have become so cynical, it's a way to project our own, you know, insecurity in a way, but our, maybe to control our image or look like we're strong. It's just we're going to be sarcastic. I do that a lot. But cynicism is the absence of hope. And what I think is that for most of us, that is where we find ourselves today, if we're honest. Maybe we wouldn't say that to someone. We wouldn't get on a mic and say that, but that's where most of us are. And so what I want to do today is I want to spend the rest of our time basically just answering two questions. Number one, what is anxiety? And number two, what is the cure? What is anxiety? What's the cure? First question, what is anxiety? Look again at verse 25 with me. It says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or your body or what you will wear. Just stop there. Eating, drinking, what you will wear. If you think back to the first century, life was a lot different. Most people lived in these apartment-like houses, and they, would, they were connected to one another, and families would all live together, and then somebody would get married, and uncle so-and-so would have some kids, and all of a sudden, you've got like 50 people living in this house, and it was dark, and there was this smoke, and there was this smell, and it was uncomfortable. I'm just describing what life looked like for most people, not that some people weren't wealthy and didn't have bigger, nicer houses, but for the wide majority of people living in the first century outside of the Jerusalem area would have lived in these types of houses. The smell of sweat and urine and feces and decay was everywhere. Outside on the street, it was a little bit different, but it was crowded. And most people lived day to day just trying to make ends meet. Whatever food they could produce, they would eat, they would stockpile until the next harvest, they would use for food for animals, They would barter with other people for their other basic needs. And then there were the taxes that they had to pay. One to the Roman government, to the temple tax. There were local and other taxes that they had to pay. And then you had these tax collectors that were going around and adding their fee to everything and living off of of that. And so it was a really bleak kind of outlook for, for most people. These are the types of people who are listening to Jesus there at his Sermon on the Mount among the crowds. So why does Jesus bring up eating and drinking and clothes? Because those things are the basic fundamental essentials of life, eating, drinking, clothes. If you today don't have food, don't have something to drink, don't have clothes, you've got a problem, right? Okay, so today we're in the same boat. If we don't have food, we don't have something to wear, We've got some issues. Jesus says next, he looks to the birds. He points to the birds and he says, check out these birds. Look at the birds of the air. I want us to turn left and go to Psalm chapter 55. Psalm 55, what's up with the birds? Psalm 55 verse four. 
This is what David said. My heart is in anguish within me. The tears of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Does it sound like this guy's in a good situation? No. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. I would flee away, far away, and stay in the desert. I would hurry to my place of shelter far from the tempest and the storm. When trouble comes, most of us feel like this. We have this response. I wish I could just get away from this mess. I wish I could just fly away somewhere else and not be around. Jesus says, consider the birds of the air. They do not sow or weep or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? When it comes to birds, they have two options, fly away or just allow God to provide. And that's what they do. Jesus says that the God who provides for the birds of the air also provides for you. And so you don't have to worry even in the most horrible situation. Every time you go through a challenge, you can look up at the sky and see a bird. And I've been practicing it this last week and I was going through something a couple of hours ago and I was looking for a bird and I could not find a bird. (laughs) And I was like, God, I need to see a bird right now. I know you're taking care of me. I wanna see a bird. Jesus continues in verse 27. Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? Your translation might say a single cubit to your height. A cubit standard measurement was fingertip to elbow. It's adding a cubit to your height, not gonna happen. Adding an hour or a day to your life, not gonna happen. And then Jesus switches to the grass. He says, why would you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor, they don't spin. All right, summary. Jesus is saying some things about God the Father and his heart. Number one, God feeds the birds, so he's gonna take care of you. You can quit worrying. He loves you more than birds. Number two, God clothes the grass with flowers. He gives them clothing. You can quit worrying. God will also clothe you. And then he says this interesting phrase, O you of little faith. Anxiety is a lack of faith. Anxiety is a lack of faith. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says this, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. So if anxiety is the absence of faith, then by this definition, anxiety is a lack of confidence in what we hope for and a lack of assurance about what we do not see. Anxiety is a lack of faith. The question that Jesus asks you and me is, are you willing to trust the God who feeds the birds and clothes the fields with flowers? Or are you going to trust yourself? Who are you going to trust? And this is an important question that Jesus asks you and me today. For me, there are some days in my own life where I have loads of faith and I am so hopeful and optimistic about the future and I am smiling and I am clapping and I am singing to whatever the latest Maverick City song is. And then there are days that I don't have that kind of thing going on at all. Are you with me? There are days that I don't, I'm not hopeful. I'm not filled with faith. And in those moments, I cannot find anything to be happy about. And then there are hours where I feel these extremes. 
both full of faith and hope and also totally miserable. And then there are literally minutes where I'm like, yes, this is going to be awesome. No, it's not. It's going to be horrible. Second to second, I vacillate, I change. And this is the life that we live as people in this broken world. For me, I have battled with some form of anxiety for most of my life. At times it's more generalized. Sometimes it's more specific to certain things. It's not all the time. It's not always like crazy off the charts or anything like that. But there are times that I would just rather avoid all social interactions and just lock it down at my house and I'll talk to anybody. I feel secure in this moment. I don't have to like talk to like myself and work myself up to have a conversation with somebody. I'm good right here. I don't want to see my weakness. I'm good right where I'm at. I'm speaking to you today as a friend and as a brother who has been diagnosed with anxiety. Like I've walked through this on a day-to-day basis. And sometimes it's better and sometimes it's not. And so we're looking at this scripture and just asking Jesus this simple question, how in the world do we do it? What is anxiety? What's the solution? Anxiety is a lack of faith. Second, anxiety is a lack of focus. It's a lack of focus. If you jump down to Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus says there at the end, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If we are constantly thinking about tomorrow and the future and the things that are around the corner and what's up next, we fail to live in today for God's glory to the full. Amen? Corey Tim Boom said this, Worrying is carrying tomorrow's load with today's strength. Carrying two loads at once, it is moving into tomorrow ahead of time. Worrying does not empty tomorrow of its, sorry, I don't know if that's the right quote. (laughs) Sorrow, yeah. It empties today of its strength. That quote didn't hit like it was supposed to. It's all good. What Corey is saying is what Jesus is saying, and that is that anxiety is a lack of focus. It's a lack of focus, a lack of focus on today, embracing every single day as a gift from God. This moment that I have right here, right now, it's a gift, and I'm going to love it, and I'm going to enjoy it. It may be difficult. I'm going to praise God anyway, and I'm going to ask that he change this situation. Even if he doesn't, I'm going to continue to praise him. I'm going to continue to worship him and not worry about tomorrow. The reason why we are anxious about tomorrow is that we believe that God is not going to provide tomorrow. He's not going to be there tomorrow. He's not going to be good tomorrow. We get worried about tomorrow because we may be going through something right now and we assume it's going to be the same tomorrow. And so instead of focusing on today, the here and now, we obsess about tomorrow and future events. And we're not alone in that. The the Israelites and and ancient Israel, as they're leaving Egypt and they're heading to the promised land, God provides this weird food called manna for them to eat. Manna is really just, it's this thing they called manna, but basically it means what is it? They didn't know what it was. It was like this cracker, honey, breadish thing that they could bake and all this stuff, and they didn't know what to call it, but they just, they called it, what is it? I don't know. It's manna. 
And so what happened is God said, I'm going to provide for you every single day. You can gather the stuff, the what is it today, and you can eat it, but don't store it for tomorrow. You need to trust me for tomorrow. And most of the people said, okay, we'll do that. But a few people said, I don't know about that. That seems kind of irresponsible. So we're going to store this stuff up. What is it? And we're going to eat it in the morning. And what happened is the next morning they got up and it was smelly. It was foul. It had maggots in it. It was disgusting. They had to throw it out because they weren't supposed to do that. And God continued to provide for them day after day after day after day. Anxiety is a lack of focus on today. We are anxious about tomorrow when we fail to believe that God is going to provide tomorrow. We pray every week that the Lord would provide today our daily bread. This is a practice Jesus teaches us, not just to pray on Sundays, but every day. That God, let us, would you just provide for me today what I need for today? I can't deal with tomorrow. I just need the bread for today. I just need the what is it, whatever you're going to provide. I want, I want that for today. So we can quit worrying about tomorrow. That's what Jesus says. Anxiety is a lack of faith. Anxiety is a lack of focus. Anxiety is a confused priority. If you go back up to verse 24, uh, it's the verse right before the section. Actually, Kevin taught it last week. If, give it up for Kevin. Thank you, Kevin. You're the man. If you haven't listened to that message, can I say it's fire? Is that a, is that a, do you say, do people say that anymore? I don't, okay. It's fire. Let's go. Yeah, go listen to it. It's awesome. So this is what verse 24 says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now follow me. I'm going to geek out for a little bit. I know. Verse 25, he says, therefore, I tell you. Okay, these, the, what we have, the Bible, you know, the verses, the little numbers by a sentence, and then the chapter numbers, those were not there at the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus wasn't like, okay, verse 24, everybody, you with me? No one can serve two masters. And then verse 25, he's not like announcing, okay, we're in a new chapter now, everybody. And Matthew, when he wrote this, didn't write chapter and verse divisions. That happened later on in the 12th century, 16th century. And so I believe that these two things are connected. And it's important to know that when you're studying scripture, it's important. If you don't know this, is a little hack. You can just look around and see, okay, I don't really understand what's going on here. I'm going to look around. I'm going to look before. I'm going to look after. Find out what's happening. And so when we look back at verse 24, we can see that these two can, are connected. The other thing is because there is a conjunctive adverb going on up in here when it says, therefore. That means it's connected to the previous verse. And so if you'll continue to follow me here, I think that these two are connected. What Jesus is saying about not serving two masters is connected to this part about not worrying because of what he's saying here. He's saying you can't serve serve two masters. He's saying, in essence, you cannot have two priorities. You can't have two priorities. Anxiety is a confused priority. You can't follow the advice of two opposite voices. It doesn't work. It might work for like a day or two. You might fool them for a little while. Eventually, it's not going to happen. Jesus uses this illustration of serving God or serving money. The word for money is mammon. Another way to translate that would be possessions. You cannot serve both 
God and possessions. Trusting mammon is the opposite of trusting manna, the daily provision from the Lord. Because if money is your master, you're consumed with acquiring more of it and guarding the money that you have and making the right investments. You're worried about protecting what you have, fixated on obtaining even more. On the other hand, if God is the priority, you're focused on him. He's the provider. I understand that everything good comes from him. So Jesus says you can quit worrying about uh, money, being anxious about obtaining more so that you can eat and have more clothes. Caveat, Jesus does not say saving money or buying stuff or whatever is bad, okay? I think Kevin hits that a little bit in his message last week. Go check it out. St. Augustine said this, for wherever the human soul turns itself other than you, it is fixed in sorrows, even if it is fixed upon beautiful things. That's amazing. For wherever the human soul turns itself other than you, it is fixed in sorrows, even if it is fixed upon beautiful things. One of my favorite authors, James K.A. Smith, actually has written a lot about St. Augustine. He says it like this, since our hearts are made to find their end in God, we will experience a besetting anxiety and restlessness when we try to love substitutes. To be human is to have a heart. You can't not love. The question isn't whether you will love something as ultimate. The question is what you will love as ultimate. Whether you will love as ultimate or what you will love as ultimate. Anxiety is a confused priority. You can't go after both. Mammon, manna, it doesn't work. He says you'll either hate the one or love the other. You'll be devoted to one. You'll despise the other. This hate language doesn't sound like Jesus. But check this out. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's like a mic drop kind of moment for Jesus. But it also boggles the mind. What in the world are you talking about? Didn't you say, Jesus, I'm supposed to love my enemies? You're telling me I got to hate my mom and dad? Like, you're crazy. What's going on here? The thing is, is that in, this has been lost in translation. Hate, love, it's a Jewish idiom for ultimate uh, affection and priority. And so what, what he means by hate is actually love less. We're, we're still connecting to the two masters thing and the confused priority. When, we say, when Jesus says, hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, he's saying, you've got to love all of those people less than me. I want your love and devotion to be number, number one for me, not anything else. In other words, in order to follow Jesus, he has to be, we have to have undivided loyalty to him. And what comes with that is undivided priorities. Anxiety is a confused priority. It's a lack of focus. It's a lack of faith. Now, at this point in the message, you're probably wondering, all right, this was great. Um, Ben, you still haven't really told us what to do. And uh, being anxious, not being anxious is impossible for me. And you don't know my life. You don't know what I've been going through. You don't know the hardships that I've just faced. 
You don't know what my life was like as a child. You don't know what my home life was like. How in the world am I not going to be anxious? And so we return to the crowd and we're all sitting around listening to Jesus as he says this, do not be anxious. And instead of me raising my hand, you're raising your hand and saying, Jesus, I don't get it. I don't understand. How can I not be anxious? Is there a cure? What is the cure to anxiety? I want you to look at verse 33 with me. Jesus says, seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and God's righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. All these things, the basic fundamental things of life. But Jesus isn't just talking about the physical stuff of life. He's talking at a spiritual level that it's hard to understand. He's trying to straighten up our priorities. How do we cure anxiety? This is what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 13. He's talking to the woman at the well. Everyone who drinks this water, this physical water that we're drawing up from the well, will be thirsty again. But the water that I give them, living water, they will never thirst again. Indeed, water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The Father, because of his great love for you and for me, through Jesus, satisfies our deepest thirst. In John chapter 6, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He's talking about something deeper than the physical needs that we have. He's talking about the deep longings of our soul. The Father satisfies our deepest hunger, our deepest thirst, because of his great love for us. And then hundreds of years before that, Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10 says this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. He has clothed me with garments of salvation, arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a groom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with jewels. The father clothes us in his righteousness and in salvation. God's God's saying this through Jesus, that we can quit worrying, but instead to seek first his kingdom. But what, what does that mean? What does seeking God's kingdom and his righteousness above everything else look like? What, what does it look like? It looks like loving and searching for God. Looking for God. It looks like being entirely devoted to the Father in every way, empowered by the Holy Spirit. It means learning to be with Jesus in prayer and in the quiet place. It looks like doing what Jesus would do if he were you. Serving, suffering well, yet being full of love and joy and hope and peace. It looks like being full of faith in a God that would do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or think. It looks like living the way that Jesus lived and loving the things that he loved, hanging out with sinners, hanging out with outsiders, proclaiming the good news to those who are lost, not just those that have the gift of evangelism, but everybody. That's the Great Commission. It's caring about the bride the church, being concerned about the church and what the church needs, what the bride needs. That's what seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness looks like. Not being selfish or concerned with your own priorities, but being concerned with what 
others need, what Jesus is focused on. It looks like throwing your opinion and your personal background or whatever, your concerns out the window because it's really all about Jesus and what he wants and what he deserves, what he desires. It looks like establishing God's kingdom wherever we go. That's why if God isn't at the center of everything that we do as citizens, then it's just idolatry. It's like building another kingdom. Um, Anxious and anxiety, people that deal with this, uh, meeting our own needs, reaching our own dreams, and guarding what we have, that type of anxiety, um, it's building our own culture instead of the kingdom of God and that culture that he has defined. It looks like destroying the kingdom of self, the cares of the world, the pleasures of the world, and seeking after the pleasures that he gives, following Jesus at all costs, bringing his kingdom everywhere that we go. God the Father, he is aware of what you need. Jesus says that multiple times all throughout this passage because he's deeply and fundamentally relational and he loves you way more than you can imagine. When you do that, when you seek God's kingdom and his righteousness first, you become a non-anxious presence in the world around you and the people that you live with in your job, in your workplace, at school. You're available to the Holy Spirit wherever he needs you. So here's the deal. What do we do with anxiety? Sometimes we just need a nap and a snack. And sometimes you need to drink less coffee and drink some more water and eat some vegetables. Go to sleep before midnight. Sometimes you need to meet with a therapist and sometimes you need Lexapro. I don't, you know, that's just the way that it is. It's Sometimes you and I need to just turn our phone off and stick it in a drawer at the end of the day and not turn it on until the next day. I don't do that, but I need to do that. It, it feels crazy to me if you actually think about being available to the entire world at any time of day, anyone in the world, and having access to anyone and anything in the world at any time, wherever you are. That's a a whole lot of pressure all the time. Social media, by the way, social media is from the devil. I don't know if you know that. News, reading news all the time, my problem. Looking at your bank account, being available to anyone and everyone always. I have this thing that I do, and it's kind of embarrassing, but if I get a notification, I end up, I look at mail, if it's a text, and then I look at Twitter, and then I look at Instagram, and then I look at my bank account or like when I was doing crypto stuff, that's stupid. I'm embarrassed already. And then I would do the thing like all over again. And then I like, I do the thumb thing on my email because I'm like, somebody's going to email me right as I put my phone down and I don't, no one ever emails me. Don't email me, please. (laughs) You can if you want to. When you make yourself available to the entire world all of the time, the pressure, it's unbelievable. How can you be available to God if you're available to everybody all the time, everywhere, everywhere that you go, consumed with what other people think? How are you consumed with what God thinks? Are you able to live out this challenge, seeking God first, his kingdom? If you think about Jesus You think about us, we weren't built with the mechanics to live up to that standard, to be able to be available to people 24-7. It's just not. Jesus, now, yeah, he's at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for you and for me. He's available to everybody all the time, always, wherever you are. It's amazing 
When he walked the earth, he could have done anything. We don't know all the things that he did. John said, there's not enough books in the world to contain all that he did. But what, from what we know, this is what we know. Jesus hung out with mostly 12 people and a bunch of women who paid for everything. We know that. And then he got burned out by those guys every once in a while and hung out with three guys. And then they got weird sometimes and wanted to build him temples and stuff. And it was like, oh my gosh, I'm just going to go hang out with the father and pray. And if Jesus did all of those things, then we should probably take our cue from him. So what's the bottom line with anxiety? It's lack of faith, lack of focus. It's a confused priority. The writer of Hebrews says this, in chapter 13, verse, 10, uh, verse 5, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God will never leave you, never forsake you? John 16, verse 33, in this world you'll have trouble. Take heart, I have overcome the world. That's what Jesus said. Do you believe that? Do you believe that to be true, that Jesus can be trusted? Sometimes we just need to have the picture of Jesus on the cross, and we are taking our stuff just how we are to him. He's on the cross, crown of thorns, nails in his hands and his feet, his back and part of his ribcage are lacerated, and he looks down at you and just smiles and says, I love you. Put your burdens on me. Cast your anxiety on me because I love you. Sometimes we just need to think about that instead of ruminating over the things that we ruminate about. Maybe today you need to imagine Jesus saying that to you from that position on the cross and maybe him saying, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Peace is what I leave you. Do not be afraid. I don't know where you're at today, what you're walking through. I do know this, and that is that the Father cares about you deeply. And he's provided so much for you and for me. And sometimes things don't work out the way that we want them to work out. And of course, tragedies happen and things that we don't plan for happen and things that we wish we could change happen. But we have to be able to dial into this hope that Jesus brings, standing outside of the tomb, the empty tomb, you know, God has just resurrected Jesus from the dead. And it's that image of the empty tomb that even through death, even through the hardest situations, that there's life on the other side. There's hope, there's resurrection. He doesn't stand as an angry God today just looking to pop you upside the head or get mad at you for some of the things that you're thinking about or anxious about. He looks at you with the eyes of a loving father wanting to take all of it on him. Let's bow and pray. Thanks for joining us today for the message. We hope it was encouraging to you. To learn more about Citizens Church, including gathering times and locations, or to give financial support, please visit citizensbcs.com. And again, thanks for listening to the Citizens Church podcast.